Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today with me, I have Teresa from the Spiritual Gangsters podcast. I was on her podcast a few weeks ago, and she also has New York Patriot as a co-host. And I'm super excited that she was on, agreed to come on my show. So thank you, Teresa. Thank you for having me. I'm like super honored to be here. <laughs> Everyone says that and I'm like, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but you know, I, I'm always excited to talk with people and I just like to have conversations and I don't know. It just, I feel like we don't, people don't have conversations anymore. We don't yeah, really get to know people. Everything is very, uh, in small sound bites and visual clips, I feel, which I mean is kind of a good way to get to know someone in it, like a sense of them, you know, yes. by things that they share or things that they're into. You can kind of tell, like, I like Instagram for that reason. Cause just looking at someone's feed, you can be like, Hmm, <laughs> I think I can get their, their vibe. But then, but the downside of that is we tend to categorize people in boxes very quickly. We do. And there is obviously a lot more nuances to a human being. Yeah, definitely. So before we get started into your story, can you tell me two things that you love about yourself? Oh God. Okay. I wonder who told me about this and I've heard people say it on your show. So actually last night was just to like get inspiration. I was going through like episodes. I've listened to a few episodes of yours, but I was like, what did they say? Like the first like 10 minutes or whatever, but I came up with my own. I swear to God. So I say one thing that I do like about myself is that I am very empathetic okay. uh, and compassionate towards others. Or I try to be at least right. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably true for yourself, true for me. That's why I have my show, Spiritual Gangsters, because it's pre- a similar premise to Speed Bumps, where we talk about, you know, like personal transformation, overcoming challenges, um, faith-based uh, thinking, things like this. Um, but yeah, I think probably things I'll talk about in the episode today is the reason why I am the way that I am in terms of like putting myself in other people's shoes. 
almost to the point that it's a detriment because I actually came across a meme the other day or it's like a quote where it said, um, empathetic people even feel bad for the people that abuse them or like treat them badly. And it's like, yeah, you're empathetic to the point that it's like, you're even understanding people who do wrong to you. Right. Yeah. It's almost like a weird, I don't want to say like Stockholm syndrome. Cause it's not what it is, but like right. a, a very like mild, like, okay, so yeah, you were an asshole, but I can also kind of understand why you're an asshole. Cause you had a really right. shitty childhood. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, it's like analyzing them. And, you, and then sometimes it's to the point where like, I'll trip myself up and I'll, I'm already anticipating what the other person is thinking and going through. So I don't even bother like saying my piece or saying what I sh- maybe could have said that might hurt them because I'm like, well, there's not really a point in doing that because I understand why they're being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna be an asshole, and I understand. So, okay. yeah, just kill him with kindness is more my philosophy on life in general. So, usually works better, I find, in the end. Yeah, but and I love and the, then, uh, the name of your podcast too. Like, that's a very kick-ass name. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you know what? I have to say, I not that I stole it, but like I was very into this uh, clothing brand for a long time when I was in like my yoga days called Spiritual Gangster. Uh, but I was like. I just changed it enough. <laughs> like yep. I think I can get away with it. And I think it does describe just people who um, are not afraid, you know, to like seek the truth, to get up like 99 times when they've fallen 98, you know, just so that, yep. that uh, grit to like keep going despite things maybe people have told you in your life or tried to put you down, things like that. Absolutely. Always just keep, keep seeking. Yeah. Yes. And then another thing I guess that I, I like about myself, it sounds so weird to talk like that, but, um, another thing is I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm really not. I'm not afraid to fail first because I think that's an important part of the learning process. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, um, they do trip themselves up before they can even start because they're just so in their head of like, Oh, what if I look stupid or what if I this or what if I that again, I think part of my childhood uh, experiences helps me not give a fuck about that part. So yeah, I'm not afraid to just try something. And if it's, if I suck, I suck it, that won't be pleasant, but yeah, I think I've learned over time that to be successful in anything, it's really like 90% persistence. Very little has to do with talent or uh, anything else. Just like persistence and maybe some luck would be good, but yeah, mostly yeah, it's just consistency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I started this, I'm like, no one's going to listen. This is really stupid, but everyone right. keeps telling me to, and you know, the universe is dropping all these anvils. So, all right, we'll give this a go. That's it. That's awesome. I'm so glad you did. Cause I honestly really enjoy speed bumps. And I think it's important to have like these conversations and take a break from like all the conspiracy stuff i mean that's important to know definitely (laughs) but once we have a baseline we don't need to like beat it over the head all the time you know yeah i mean there's certain topics that like i want to learn more about and so like i'll go seek out um you know specific episodes on that topic or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know to your point i'm interested in conspiracy stuff but and sometimes i'll talk with that about you know, I guess who comes on, but it's not the sure. focus of the show just because, to, like you said, there has to be something more. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, once we know about the Schwabs and the Fallen Angels and the Nephilim, I mean, like, yeah, we know about it. And what can we do about it other than work through our own personal bullshit? I think that's the biggest way to sort of like defeat the Matrix, per se, is to like not stay stuck in trauma, not repeat, you know, old patterns. I think that when people say, what can I do to change the world? I'm like, well, you can change yourself first that would be good a good start yeah I don't remember who said it but like there's a quote that's something along the lines of you you want to change the world start at home or love your uh, love your family or something like that I think that was Mother Teresa okay okay which some people will be like "Ooh, the child trafficker Mother Teresa (laughs) listen like it's still a good quote it's still a good premise like exactly exactly. rabbit hole right now who who knows what she did or did not do but she did do a lot of good things too regardless so yes that is a beautiful quote and I would agree absolutely so I know you had told me a few broad things that you wanted to touch on but I'm gonna let you start wherever you want to start and yeah all right girl so (laughs) uh you know I it's funny because I interview people in a similar way that you do and I'm just like take it from where you want in your whole your whole life story and it's like <laughs> holy shit that's actually super intimidating and I have been sorry on other people no it's okay I've been on other people's podcasts but usually it's like more uh spiritual or conspiracy focused so it's not so much like my own just personal bullshit that I re- review in my head all constantly all day <laughs> but to start I guess we could say, um, you know, one of the things that we had mentioned before we started recording was something I've always struggled with uh, since I can remember is body image, uh, weight, um, Mm -hmm. and just a general appearance. And I even have memories as young as three years old of like my mom, for example, giving my brother a larger plate of food than me. And I'd be like, oh, well, can I have more too? And she'd be like, oh no, honey, you don't need more or whatever it is, right? And I just have like these these weird memories of like food-related things. Uh, and just to like give people a context, I mean, I spent my teenage and adult life mostly being around like a size eight or 10, like a dress size eight or 10, which by all reasonable definitions I would say is not fat but according to my mind and maybe my my mother's mind I was because I have shape I'm very curvy yeah I have thighs and an ass that will never go away and that I've made peace with that mostly uh but I do feel like there were times in my life where I was not at peace with that and I am much heavier now um, but we can get into all that later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it started from young where I noticed like, I guess I was like a chubby kid, but not like, you know, I was never tiny. This is the thing. Okay. I'd look at other girls and I'd be like, why, why can't I be tiny? Like then, you know, like these little stick legs and like petite little arms and like so dainty and sweet. And I'm like, got muscle. And like, you know, I started to go through puberty very early, like 11 years old. Um, I had my period. Um, I was one of the first in my class to like wear a bra, which was like really traumatizing. I know maybe some young men listening might not understand this, but like I went to a school where like, it wasn't cool to be girly. It wasn't cool to like have boobs. 
like some schools I feel like then the boys would be like oh I have a crush on Ellie or whoever because Mm -hmm. oh my god she's like you know turning into a woman or whatever it was not cool where I was from and I was bullied insanely I remember around uh grade five or so uh so like 10 11 years old yep all my entire friend group just uh turned on me (laughs) and uh, I was like I guess among the popular kids at the time so all the most popular kids in school decided they didn't want to be friends with me anymore I later found out this was orchestrated by my closest friend uh, at the time probably jealous perhaps I honestly don't know and it made school miserable I cried every single day I did not want to go to school for the entire year when I did confide in my mom about that situation she did I mean I can imagine what she was thinking and she did end up speaking to the other mother involved uh which made it worse <laughs> had that happen so, too yeah so that was not pleasant um although it did give me uh I think a place of starting to develop that empathy and that compassion for others because of what was happening to me and um, it didn't help that I was also just had the whole gamut of the puberty things. So like the body changing, braces, acne, frizzy hair, like all the stuff was me. And it was not fun at all. Yeah. I do think, though, sometimes God will give you these things to develop other parts of your character. <laughs> so like, you know, there's a, there's a saying that there's like ugly duckling syndrome, which have you heard of that? Vaguely, but elaborate for you <laughs> listeners, please. So ugly duckling syndrome is a term, uh, I think it was like popularized in maybe that movie, She's All That or something like one of those kind of okay. movies, one of those coming of age yep. teenage films. But basically it's like when a girl or a guy uh, has a long, awkward phase, And because of that, they're like not popular or they get made fun of or whatever. So they have to develop like other parts of their personality to sort of compensate for like their looks, I guess. And not to say that I was like super ugly or whatever, probably looking back, when I look back at pictures of myself younger, I probably looked fine. But at the time, it was very overwhelming because of the messages I was getting from the outside. So my, my friend group was like basically making me feel worthless. My own mother was very critical my whole life of my appearance. So my weight, my skin, it's like everything was always made to feel wrong with me. Yeah. Like there's never, even even when I would uh, later on in life, like have times where I would like lose some weight or whatever. And then I'd be like, oh yeah, mom, like I lost like 20 pounds or whatever. She'd be like, oh, that's great. But like, let's get your skin fixed. You know, it's like no matter what you did, it was never good enough. No matter what. It wouldn't matter. Or it was even with school. Like um, I was always high high achieving academically. Uh, So it's like if I got uh, 82 on a test, oh, well, what happened to the other 8%? Where's that other 8%, Teresa? Uh, I don't know. I made some mistakes. (laughs) You know, it's like, sorry, A isn't good enough. It's got to be A plus, you know. And then that continued... um, into high school I went to like a a small private school here in Toronto um not to like brag but it's like one of the top rated academic schools in Mm -hmm. the whole country uh I'm from Canada 
So it was very competitive. Uh, so there was again, that like overachievers mentality, yep. always like the undercurrent of my life. It's like, it's never going to be good enough. Like I was smart. Yeah, sure. But I was also going to school with girls who were smarter, you know, like g- math geniuses and art, uh, you know, prodigies and yep. all this and that. So it, it, in a way it's good because it pushes you to do better for yourself, but also at the same time makes you feel like shit. Because you're like, wow, I can never like measure up to these people or I don't know if maybe that was something that I just continued from my childhood onwards, but uh, it definitely gave me, uh, again, like that empathy, you know, but also instilled in me a confidence not to be afraid to try new stuff at the same time. So like going back to those, those two uh, strengths, I guess, because I was confident to say, okay, well, like I am smart. So like, if I want to try podcasting, I'm going to try that and see where I land. Uh, or if I want to um, pursue a different career, then I'm going to try that and, and just see how it works out. You yeah. know, I'm not going to, um, it's not going to determine how I feel about myself intellectually. Cause like there I felt solid, you know? Yeah, no, no, I, it's very similar thing growing up, you know, very overachiever you know it was almost like because my looks weren't good enough I had to throw myself into something and yes. because you can always get better if you study yeah you know you throw yourself into the books at least that's what I did yeah absolutely it's funny too because like if someone was to insult my looks now it's like oh I'm used to that you know like I don't really like like okay it might get me down like for like a minute Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, eh, like, you know, you told me I have a big butt. Well, guess what, sweetheart? I've been told that my whole fucking life. <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> but like, if someone was to tell me you're stupid, that would hurt me more. Yeah. Because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, do you know how hard I've worked for this? Yeah, like, no way, man. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's funny how that those things carry through life. But um, yeah, I feel like there was that... Um, that current of like, you're never enough. You're not, you're not worthy. That's carried through, even though I was high, high achieving in school and in sports and um, extracurriculars uh, on paper, I looked really good, but inside I was very down, very depressed. It started for sure. Well, that experience in elementary school definitely was probably a huge uh, catalyst for mental health uh, at a young age. And I can remember for sure by like 15, 16, I was very depressed uh, most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, that comes along. I'm sure part of it is that angsty teenage phase. Absolutely. Where you're just melancholy and feeling all the things all the time. But I think it was more than that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And I remember one time uh, confiding in my mom and again, my mom is a very loving and caring person. She's a very beautiful person, but she's very, she has a high standard for a lot of things. So in a way I grew up loving her, but also I was in fear of her almost all the time. So for me then to come to her, ex- trying to express like, okay, I feel depressed about this or that. Or I remember one time I said to her, I think I was like 16 or 17. And I was like, mom, I think I have a problem with food. Because it like relates to like depression and anxiety. And I was like, you know, I almost feel like it would be better 
if I had a drug problem, because then at least I'd be thin. Like if I was like a cokehead or something, you know, at least I'd be skinny and I'd look good in clothes. And she was like, yeah, you're right. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I was like, okay, good. That's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I battled with that. And I think um, just those early memories of like trying to curb my food intake or I was always one of those kids who was like on the higher end of like those growth charts, mm-hmm. you know, for, for weight and height, which is hilarious. Cause now I'm only five foot four, like I'm very short, but like, I just grew early. I grew yeah. fast early. I was always the tallest in my class till like grade seven. And then everyone else started to grow and I stayed the same. Cause like my body was basically at its adult size, you know? So it's just like people would, put me down for that like my own mother like my friends would put me down for that and it's like but I can't help like how how I was born yeah I mean that always bothers me (laughs) is picking on people for things that they literally have no control over like you're gonna pick on someone because their height or their hair color like yeah you could dye your hair but like or their the fact that they need glasses or braces like I I never understood that now if you're just being a jerk and you're going to call someone out on it. Totally fine with that. Right? right. But picking on someone because of the way they look, I've never, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't it's help. really, no, it's not productive for anyone. It really doesn't help. It, it may make the bully feel a little bit better about themselves for a brief time. That's probably why a lot of that behavior goes on. Well, um, even, yeah. <laughs> even today, the high school, the, shows that show kids in high school they're played by adults that's not what teenagers look like right like in right. the mean girls yeah for like regina yeah. george yeah uh, or even go by... back to um oh the uh, danny and sandy and greece there we go Greece. yes like those are played by full-grown adults right <laughs> but we're thinking this is what you're supposed to look like in high school even now right. Even the kids yeah. right now, that's yeah. what you're supposed to look like in high school. Even the kids in middle school are played by, you know, 18-year-olds. And they, right. you're supposed to go to these parties. And, you know, my stepdaughter was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait until uh, I'm, old, you know, I'm 13 and I get to go to wander around a mall by myself with my friends. And I look her and I'm like, okay, first of all, that never really happens. Second of all, the world is crazy and you're not doing that. Like, like no. In, third, in like three years, all the malls are going to be gone anyway. But like, <laughs> it's all the businesses will be out of business. So you know, who's going anywhere? I, I, like, <laughs> but she has these expectations. It's yeah. not just her. Like all these kids, and I know I did growing up. Like I thought mm-hmm. in high school, you're supposed to go to these raging parties, and everyone's going to try and give you alcohol. The only people who tried to give me alcohol were my parents. <laughs> Okay. It wasn't it wasn't a high school party of my own parents. Oh man, that's so funny. So my high school experience was a little bit different. Uh I went to uh private school, like I said, and I feel like there is a certain stigma about private school kids, but I felt very much like an outsider. Like really technically I probably shouldn't have been there. <laughs> that makes sense. I was the most ethnic one of the most ethnic kids in the school. And do I look at very ethnic, Ellie? Not really. No, I mean you have <laughs> metallic hair that could be dyed and like slightly <laughs> olive skin, but like yeah. you're not 
no yeah no. I'm Italian so I am white appearing I guess like yeah I have European uh ethnicity but in my school that was ethnic so it was mostly the most Canadian whitest people and a sprinkle of two Italians some Asians and a few Indian kids because you know they're the really smart ones <laughs> yeah they don't talk about those Indian kids oh god they're so so smart <laughs> holy shit I'll become doctors. All uh, all the Asian kids were either doctors or lawyers, and all accomplished or engineers. Yes. Or engineers, yeah, and all accomplished musicians. Every yeah. single one. <laughs> but uh, my yeah. private school—it was interesting. There was always small because I went to private school up to eighth grade, like right. one month through eighth grade, and there was no more than like three to four white kids in a class of 20 and everyone Ooh. else was black Dang, we literally okay. got picked on because we were white yeah it was the reverse okay so i guess it's whatever is the minority minority is yep. just gonna get you know sloshed on a little bit because they're not the norm in the group exactly exactly right so it just depends where you're at it's not necessarily set in stone the parameters right uh, but because I feel like I was one of the only ones, uh, in my culture, I guess <laughs> we're very Canadianized. My family, we're not like super hardcore Italian by any means, but the whole culture around, uh, private school was, I found the yes, a lot of the parents would be cool with the kids drinking with weed. Uh, they'd even do it with us. Like at parties, oh yeah, um, or order us alcohol to the house. Whereas, like my parents, that was like not happening at all. Like I remember, my mom found out the first time I had a drink. Don't even ask how the fuck she found out. But uh, I came home and it was it was World War Three. That's for sure. But yeah, so I grew up very strict. Actually, one of my friends, one of my good friends in high school, also who grew up very strict, she was Chinese. So we kind of could like relate <laughs> on that level. Like, well, we're not allowed to stay out till till 2 a.m., you know, till yeah. maybe I was much older in high school. But I, in grade seven, grade eight, that wasn't allowed for me. Uh-huh. Whereas like some of the other kids, like their parents didn't care or like, you know, have boyfriends in their bedroom. Their boyfriends would sleep over. I was like, yo, that does not happen in no. my household. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> like oh man I mean yeah I guess I get the premise of like at least it's under your own roof but at the same time like in my opinion in high school there's there's no reason for two teenagers to be locked behind a bedroom door nope and I think it's uh part of the epidemic of kids I'm sorry parents wanting to be their kid's friend and not their kids parents yep. right because I'm sure that if my parents were more lenient I mean as rebellious as I was trying to like bend the rules and ignore the rules that they set out uh as much as I could <laughs> in a reasonable manner if they were more lenient with me I would have gotten into a lot more trouble and a lot more shitty situations so I can commend them for that because it wasn't conventional in the group that I was in so did your mom ever like try and put you on diets or like enroll you like any programs or anything like that 
all the time. I have done all the diets in the land that you can fathom. I have done all of them. So yes, they do all work to a degree. But I think the problem with with diets and diet culture is that it's truly not getting at the subconscious root of like what is going on. And, and that's why people find them so hard to stick to. So like you can, you know, change your behavior for a short time and then see a result. I remember one time uh, when I was probably, I was in university. So I was probably like 20 or so, 19, 20 years old. And I just made, made all these rules for myself based on all the diets I'd already done. I made these food rules. I was like, okay, you got to eat every three, four hours, um, eat clean, work out every night, no eating past six o'clock, like not even like a fucking grape or a glass of milk, nothing. Um, which I mean, aren't necessarily unhealthy rules, but when put to the extreme and you won't ever deviate, right. That's, that's a problem. So yes, I did lose a lot of weight and it looked really good. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It was good. Um, but then as things started to spiral or be stressful in my life, or I'd, you know, deviate from the rules a little bit, then because of my, I guess, mentality or how I was built, it would just then lead into like a binge behavior. So like I'd go, you know, one extreme or the other, I'd either super restrictive uh, or no rules whatsoever and just eat whatever the fuck I wanted in whatever quantity I wanted. So it's two extremes. I never developed like a healthy, normal relationship with food, which sounds really fucked up because it should be one of like the most natural things in life, you know, just like Mm -hmm. what you eat. (laughs) Like, and no other animal has this issue in the animal kingdom. You know, it's just humans who like to complicate it and make it uh, this whole psychological endeavor. But I would attribute that a lot of my childhood had to do with that. And just that pressure of always having to be like very perfect, you know? So it's like, I could hold on to it for a long time. And then I was also very active, like growing up, I did a lot of sports. I figure skated like five, six days a week, basketball, baseball, um, whatever else. Uh, Then when I quit figure skating, I was about 17, 16 years old. And I was like, well, I'm not going to the Olympics. So might as well just and it wasn't really like fun anymore at that point it was more like a job um but in figure skating too like I developed a lot of muscle you know I was very fit um I was an athlete but at the same time I wasn't tiny so like in figure skating it's sort of like gymnastics like there's that uh body image perception where you should be like this tiny tiny little powerhouse (laughs) yep and uh I did not fit that mold per se so I was always very self-conscious of that. And then that continued into uh, dance. So after I quit figure skating, I, just, I decided to try dancing because I always liked it. But I never formally like took any classes. And then one day I just wandered into like a hip hop class, which I actually found a lot of um, uh, like happiness in that because I love the music. Uh, I have the right attitude for it. I don't know why I do. <laughs> when the music comes on I'm like a different person so uh that was easy to do and it's just it came very natural to me and then at the time the culture like started to shift so this is like early 2000s I want to say 
where then you started to have like Jennifer Lopez come on the scene and like Beyonce. Uh, so these are girls who represent a more shapely figure, mm-hmm. right? So at the time for me, I was like, wow, I'm like, this is so great. Like girls that look like me are like being popularized as opposed to like the Kate Mosses mm-hmm. and, you know, the Britney Spearses of the world. And again, this is not to put down anyone's body shape. I just think like we should just be accepting of how people look in general and just you know not make them feel horrible for like how god made their body here is my disclaimer if anyone at any point gets triggered by something on this show Mm -hmm. i encourage you to go figure out why it triggers you because usually if it triggers you there's something that you go you need to go work on totally so that's my little disclaimer yeah it's funny because i have a friend who was also a dancer growing up uh we became friends later as adults she struggled with bulimia and anorexia, never into like binging per se. But uh, we have such similar mindset about certain things and like things that had happened to us in childhood that I think made us like the way that we are. Um, but it's funny because like she's always been thin, but she was made fun of for being too skinny. She was always criticized even by her mom, who was a larger woman, whereas my mom was a smaller woman, you see. So criticized by the mother into thinking like that their body is like incorrect all the time or that they're they're not good enough and there was always this mentality of like I'm not good enough I'm not good enough and even as a dancer she herself like never felt confident to pursue it as a career because she just felt like unworthy or like not talented enough which is what happened to me with hip-hop so I really enjoyed it and I was doing like well in classes and it was at a place where like they had their own like dance crew that would like compete or like those would be their dancers that they like develop like more, you know, not yep. just like come for drop-in classes or whatever. You'd be part of like the development program. So like they asked me to do that. And at the time I was like about to go off to university. So I was like, uh, I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think like probably university is a safer bet, but also really I probably chose that because inside I didn't feel confident enough one in how I looked to be like a performer, you know, uh, confident enough, nor did I think I was worthy of wanting what I wanted. You know, maybe that would have been a a really fun adventure to try that out. And I could have always gone back to school later if it didn't work out, you know, but I chose what was safe or like more accepted, Expected. expected of me. Exactly. So it's going back to that, uh, always wanting to please other people, you know, this uh, overachiever mentality of like, okay, well, let's do what I'm going to be best at. Maybe not what I'm most interested in, you know, or uh, what I could be quote unquote successful at on paper, even though it might not be the most uh, thrilling thing. (laughs) Right. So those kind of things I do almost regret in life, but I can't say I fully regret it because it led me to where I am now so my life would be totally different but it's funny how that attitude of like unworthiness is the undercurrent of like so many things and it develops so early develops so early in life from probably I don't they say something like our personality is set by like age seven they do and it almost makes me wonder because I feel like we're about the same age you know Mm -hmm. and I've talked with guys too who are around our age a little bit older a little bit young not so much younger but like around our age a little bit older 
and they all seem to have similar undercurrent themes. And I'm like, it almost makes me wonder if that's where this whole gentle parenting thing came from, because we were all like, not that our parents were purposely trying to abuse us or purposely being mean or anything like that. Like, certainly that happened. Yes. But like, I don't think that when our mothers would make these comments, they were intentionally trying to hurt us. Right. Like, I, I, I don't believe that at all, but I almost make, it's that pendulum, whether it's politics or culture or traditions, it's almost like we got so far one way yeah. That it's turned into, you know, you see these kids screaming in the store and it's okay. We're just going to talk about your feelings. And I'm like, wait a minute. We went from one extreme to the next in like a generation and a half. And what happened? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I struggle with that too, as a parent, um, you know, maybe that's a good segue into like the next uh, kind of thing that I had mentioned with you that I personally struggle with and is a big speed bump for me was becoming a mom. Um, you know, I struggle with parenting all the time and I always have, it does not come easy to me. Um, you know, I got married and we had my first son within a year. So before our first anniversary, we had him and that wasn't really on purpose. We were just sort of like open to whatever, but I was like, shit, that worked real fast. (laughs) Oh my God. You spend your whole life, like not trying to get pregnant. And then you're like, oh, damn. Well, good thing I was active at not trying to because that happened quickly. Thankfully for us, I know a lot of people do struggle with that. And that is horrible. I can't imagine that struggle. Um, Fortunately, I did not have that. So he uh, came into my life at a time when um, around the time I got married, the best way I can describe it is like I had like a mental breakdown. Okay. So I think because of my body issues and depression and anxiety that I had as an undercurrent my whole teenage and adult life it led me into like seeking healing you know so I've always been very curious about that and that's probably a common thing amongst our generation and age group I think is that we are the ones really to like seek out solutions to stop this within ourselves whatever our conflict is in in our own life Um, So it led me into yoga, actually. So partially I did it because I wanted to get fit and look good. So still the undercurrent of like the vanity thing, but also too, it, I felt a lot of relief there. So I started to like get basically addicted to like going to yoga. I was there like sometimes twice a day if I had the time. Um, I volunteered at the studio because when I started, I was a student in university. I had no money. So I volunteered there so I could take classes for free as much as I wanted. Uh, I cleaned the studio in exchange for that. Um, And I just wanted to know like as much as I possibly could because it made me feel so good every class. So that led me on this like whole spiritual seeking path. Um, I kind of got into a little bit of like new agey stuff, but I always had like a Christian background. So I feel like it's, it was good in the sense it helped me understand both sides, East and West. I understand both those philosophies fairly well. Um, at the time, uh, when I had my son, I was teaching yoga full time. Uh, I had gone through a bunch of careers. <laughs> Again, this is the undercurrent of feeling unworthy, unsure of yourself, 
I would go through like a true millennial. I'd like try something for like a year, two years. And I'd be like, I hate this. I'm trying something else. This is not my purpose in life. And <laughs> like, so, so stereotypical of our generation, but it's true because I wanted to do something meaningful for not only myself, but for the world as well. I went through like a small, small career in advertising. I worked there for a few years. Um, as a media planner. And I was like, am I going to wake up at like 42, 52 and be like, wow, I spent my life making people want to buy craft dinner and peanut butter. Like, is that what I want to do with my life? You know? So it just sent me into sort of this like spiritual crisis. I find where I tried all these different jobs. I had worked in the fashion industry for a while on like the business side. Uh, I even did trying to think what else I did. Well, I waitress merchandising, um, I've done like a whole bunch of different jobs, but, um, eventually then I settled on pursuing yoga as teaching it because I thought at least I can help people heal themselves. Like it's helped me, you know? Uh, so I wanted to make a positive impact. Uh, then when I got married, I had this sort of like mental breakdown. I don't really know why that happened or I have some ideas of why, but, uh, we'll just say that it happened and I wasn't in a good place. Like mentally, Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to stop everything I was doing. Like I stopped teaching yoga. I stopped going to class. Um, and then soon after that, a couple months later, I found out that I was expecting. And at the time, most of the yoga that I did was hot yoga. So in like a warm room and there was a lot of controversy around pregnancy and hot yoga. So I stopped doing the thing that gave me the most like mental relief, which looking back was like, not a good thing to do. And probably would have been fine for me to do it because my body was so acclimatized to like being in right. heat. It would have been fine. It's like when they say, oh, you know, joggers continue running in your pregnancy because your body's used to it kind of thing. I wouldn't recommend starting it, you know, if right, you're right. pregnant and then you're like, oh, I'm going to start hot yoga maybe don't do that. But if you're experienced, like yeah. I think it would have been fine. So I had, I felt like I had all my supports kind of like taken from me, you know, uh, and I cut back on work to accommodate like my husband's schedule. And it was just a whole mess. And in that mindset, then I had a baby. <laughs> so I don't think I was like well-equipped mentally at the time uh, to have him. But at the same time, he did save me, I think, in some ways, because without the motivation of like having like you don't have a choice but to like take care of your child. Like when your child's crying, you have to get up, you have to feed them, you have to take care of them. So he saved me probably from like falling into some sort of like really dark despair. Like, honestly, if I had kept going the way that I was mentally, I might have killed myself. Like, I'm not joking. So he probably save me from that for sure. Um, although it was rough, you know, um, I'm sure I had postpartum depression and anxiety. I do remember talking to my doctor about that, who, uh, is like a friend of my family and also confiding in my mom about that. And both of them just fully like bulldozed those feelings. And were like, no, I think that's just normal mom stuff. Like, you know, you're doing great. You're taking such good care of him. Like, you're awesome. You don't need to worry about that. And then I think my doctor referred me to some like group, like mom group therapy thing, which was like so cheesy and so nonsense bullshit. 
Like it was not helpful at all. And it was like such a pain in the ass to get to. It was like downtown, like parking was stressful. I'm like, why am I even going here? Like this it's a mess. And like having to bring the baby down there and it was just a disaster. Plus two, a lot of people don't talk about this. Uh, if they have a negative experience with like breastfeeding, it can really affect like the mother's mental state, like very badly. Uh, so for me, that was a huge challenge with my first son and it did not go very well. It just set me up in like a really negative impression of like how motherhood was. Um, so having said that, I mean, I was taking care of him and everything just inside. I was struggling a lot. And then, uh, came the talk about, you know, should I, should I return to work? Should I return to teaching classes? Like I was prior to pregnancy. And at the time, I don't know how it is like in other parts of the world, but in Toronto where I'm from, childcare is very expensive. So like daycare or whatever. So we figured I'd probably be making just enough money to cover daycare if I was to return to work. So maybe there's no point in me going back to work. I should just take care of him myself. Right. Um, So that's what I chose at the time, thinking I was choosing the right thing for him. And plus, I have to say, my first son was extremely clingy. It was like a Velcro baby. So it was like literally could not put him down. Another, it was a huge challenge uh, for sure. And again, not good on the mental state. I was like overtouched all day long. Um, so he actually didn't cry a lot, I have to say, but he wasn't a good napper. I felt like I never had a break. Um, there was almost no one to help me with my kids, uh, except my mom the odd time. Um but yeah, she had her own, you know, her own stuff going on. She's busy, you know, she can't always come and like, just help me. <laughs> um, and my husband works a lot. So I was alone with, with him all, all the time. Um, and it was really hard, you know, that was a really hard year, his first year. And beyond that, uh, then, you know, when I was in the fray of having little kids, I decided if we're going to have any more, we should do it now because I don't want to start this all over again uh, years down the road. So we did have another, and then, uh, my second son is like much more independent. So I really saw the difference of like, Oh, wow, this baby will like play by himself <laughs> and sleep and just like much more easygoing. And I did feel like it took me a few years, but eventually I started to regain like pieces of myself back. Um, and just having a little more like free time those kind of things. But it is, a, I think, a struggle that a lot of women face is we feel like we can't have it like both ways. Like, I don't know how you feel um, as a stepmom. Maybe it's a little bit different, but. I, I think it's I very different. I uh, okay. I haven't been uh, given the privilege of having my own. So mm-hmm. I can't true, honestly relate to a lot of the things that you're saying, but I'm sure a lot of women out there can. I think probably. Um, yeah. And I mean, it is a privilege. I do feel like I have been given a great gift and like responsibility by having two sons, uh, especially in this day and age. Like, you know, I remember when they were born, I'd look at them and just be like, oh God, like, please don't let me fuck this up. You know? <laughs> and I honestly felt like it made me sound weird to some people. I didn't feel like they're mine in the sense, like I do truly feel like 
children and people, we do belong to God. So I'm almost like not renting them, but I'm like, you're I'm like the like caretaker, the, the, the earthly caretaker. Yes. Like I am their mother, but I'm doing what I can on earth, but ultimately like they belong to him. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. Right. Yeah. That's how I look at it. But, um, because of like struggling in motherhood and, um, again, like reinforcing those feelings of like depression, anxiety, like my, with my first son, it was to the point that it was hard for me to do like the simplest of tasks. So like when he was napping, that would be the time when most women would go into like whip it mode and like clean the house and like do all the laundry and, or work out for themselves or whatever. All I could do was freeze. I was literally frozen in anxiety because I'm thinking of all the things I have to accomplish in like 30 minute window when he's asleep, 45 minutes, maybe. And I'm like, what do I start with? What's going to give me like the fastest, most efficient result. And it, because I'm trying to think of like the order of doing things, I end up doing almost nothing Yep. because I'm so tripped up of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. If I, if I don't start dinner now, then he's going to wake up and then uh, I can't like be cutting things because he's going to be like, want me to hold him. And it was like a disaster. So some days the best I could do was like empty the dishwasher <laughs> and maybe make a meal. So yeah, it was not only a lack of time, but also just like frozen in anxiety. I still have that sometimes and I'm not a mom. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, do feel, I do feel like I still have it sometimes. I mean, it's much better. I can remember some of like the worst, worst days. Like I would just be frozen and almost like just like laying on the couch. Like I can't get up. It's not for laziness. It's like I literally felt frozen and chained to that couch. And then like he would cry. So I would like, have to get up you know yeah for me it's like I just feel so overwhelmed with the amount of things I have to do that I have no idea where to start so I don't start and I just sit on the couch with my dog so and then before I know it it's you know four o'clock and my husband's coming home and I'm like oh shit shit." and I'm like I've been home all day and I could have done 20 things but because I didn't know where to start I didn't do anything I did zero things yeah, but it does happen. Yeah, it does happen. And that's the thing. It does happen. And I'm, I'll just say like, you know, if that does happen to you once in a while, that's probably fine. It's when it's happening to you like five days out of seven, that yeah. that's probably like not fine. So I just felt like I had to start all over again and sort of like try to crawl myself out of this like very dark place, uh, which I did. Um, you know, I would just eventually it got a little bit better as he got older. Um, so I just had to like, try to keep going. My second son, actually, it's going to sound bad. It's not that my first son brought me like misery. He did bring a lot of joy, but my second son was just like a ray of sunshine. He was just like this happy, bubbly, like sweet, sweet baby. Uh, and I felt very lucky, like to be his mother. Um, just because I'd had like a different experience like with my first, that sounds terrible. He's awesome. My first son. Um, but they're very different personality. Right. Um, and I've had the experience with the first one to know like, okay, it's not a big deal. Like you can let him cry a little bit. You don't have to tend to him like every like millisecond. 
you know? Um, and that's probably because of my, my underlying anxiety that I would do that with my first son. So I put my anxieties onto him, making him more anxious. <laughs> yeah. Right. Did any uh, doctor ever try and like put you on antidepressants or anything? Well, actually, it's funny you asked that. So at one point, I think I had had both kids. Nope, maybe just one. I think my first son, yeah, and before my second one came along. But I talked to my family doctor about that. And I was like, listen, I'm like, I think I should just like, maybe I should try an antidepressant. And he is like, <laughs> okay, I don't know. This sounds weird to me coming from a doctor, but he's like, I'll be honest, like, I don't really have any feelings of depression. So I can't relate to my patients who struggle with that. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Uh, he's like, but yeah, you can just try, try this drug and no problem. I'll put you on a low dose and see how it goes. And he just prescribed me no problem. He was like, I, I trust that you know how you feel. So, uh, you know, we'll just give it a try. And I was like, all right, <laughs> that was <Okay>. easy. <laughs> so I like that the doctor's like, you know, your body, we're going to go with that. Right. But also kind of concerning that he didn't delve into it. And I no. feel like the disclaimer of I've never had depression, so I can't relate wasn't necessary. <laughs> right. I'm just like, thanks for making me feel like shit. Uh, and also like, do you have a soul? Because like, how do you not ever like feel depressed? But maybe some people don't, I don't know. Maybe that's their experience. Or maybe that's what makes him a good doctor. Cause he's like not emotional, you know, perhaps I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if you're never sad and I'm not even going to say depressed, right? but never sad, then how do you know when you're happy? Right. Kind yeah. of like if the light is always on, how do you know what dark is? Right. Yeah. Not That's... saying you have to be sad or happy all the time, but if you never experience one or the other. Yes. This is uh, the idea of polarity, right? Like this mm -hmm. is how we can know how we can know things. Um, so yeah, he just prescribed me this like low dose. I forget which one it was. I literally took it for maybe all of two weeks because what I noticed is initially I was like yeah I feel a little bit better maybe it's placebo effect I don't know mm -hmm. I felt like I felt better but then it quickly felt like I need to up the dosage because now after 10 days it's not doing the same thing that it was already which freaked me out a lot um you know I had had some experience with like some street drugs and I was like well that's not good I, I don't want that you know that uh increased tolerance all the time so I was like uh, I don't think this is the way and I don't think this is going to solve anything it's a nice band-aid so I actually just took myself off it yeah coming off antidepressants especially if you've been on them for an extended period of time uh yeah is hell yes it, it I, I've done it it absolutely sucks uh yeah. Ritalin was the worst thing like oh gosh yeah. And they don't tell you about this when they prescribe them. No, because it's, ah. it's either you're just going to be on it for life. So you'll never know what it's like to go through withdrawals yep. or they just think it'll be someone else's problem. I really don't know, but I was never told about withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are not, I was definitely not explained that at all. And uh, I never talked to him about it again after, because I just was like, this is not for me. And because I hadn't been on it long, I just felt like I'm just going to stop cold turkey. Um, and then also too, you know, hormones change after you have children and all the hard, like 
mental work that I had done to sort of try to heal like my eating issues uh, and depression and anxiety all came raging back like after I had my son and after I got married. So I was in this like very dark place and uh, using food again in a not healthy way, either not eating at all because I felt like I was too busy to make myself food. I made all my baby's food from scratch, but not my own food. (laughs) Uh, So I was doing that. And then I would just eat junk because it was quick and easy. And I think sometimes for me, it sort of relates to like having this false, false sense of control or that's like, well, you're telling me I can't have these things. So I'm going to have a lot of them. You know, it's like a Mm -hmm. fucked up personality trait that I have where it's like, okay, well, you told me I can't have cookies. Well, I'm going to eat the whole box of cookies. Yep. Ha ha. Which really, who does that hurt in the end? It hurts me. Right. (laughs) But I think, you know, also maybe that's part of, again, going back to feeling unworthy and undeserving. It's like, okay, well, you know, you could have this great healthy body, but you're not going to allow yourself that because remember, you're a piece of shit. Right. That's like this subconscious pattern is ingrained. Remember, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough to want those things. Yep. You don't need, you shouldn't have those things. That's not for you. Well, and I wonder too, if, you know, the times that you were dieting and you felt like you were successful and mm-hmm. then, you know, life happened because life right. happens and you missed a day or you ate past six or whatever it was. I feel like, or not, I feel like, was it? just this okay well I failed once so I'm just gonna keep failing so just f it absolutely yeah I have that mentality I'm very all or nothing um in a lot of things in life and uh I'm learning to work on that uh and that's again I think relates also to like jobs that I've had where like I didn't like you know these few things or I couldn't foresee like a successful future so I say fuck it and I quit before I could be fired or I could do like they could blame it on me somehow I took ownership and was like nope I'm steering the ship and I'm out and also in relationships I've done that lots of times or like when I feel like I'm the one who's on the losing end or I'm getting hurt or I don't like certain things I want to be the one to leave on my terms you know I think that's maybe a (laughs) weird personality trait that I I have probably a protective one I think so. I think that's probably exactly what it is. It's a protective mechanism because I know what it's like to be deeply hurt, like by people very close to you and almost feel like betrayed by them that it's like, I don't want to experience that. So I'll just be the one to betray myself first. I can see that. (laughs) Right. I'll just, I'll just do it for me and I could deal with me easier than I could deal with like an outside person hurting me. But when you do that for so many years, what it does is um, you don't trust yourself with like a lot of things. I know that might sound really stupid to a lot of people, but like when I set goals for myself, it's like, well, if I don't achieve the goal, well, whatever, you know, you, you haven't achieved anything anyway. So it just reinforces that. Right. Whereas like now in my adult life, I mean, say maybe, you know, the last few years, I'm trying to remember you know that success is like a small persistent thing so you know maybe you didn't eat perfect today but like that's not a reason to go drown yourself in like 
fast food or like whatever it is, or doesn't mean that you have to starve yourself for a week. You know, it's just be consistent with like healthy, small habits or same with work, you know, or same with podcasting. Um, work's been a little bit of a trickier thing because trying to balance it with my kids, but with hobbies that I've had, or, um, I have like a small handmade business that I've actually ignored for a long time, but that was part of it. Uh, how I got successful with it was because I did stay consistent with it for a long time, you know? Um, so I've learned like small, consistent action is going to trump bold, quick action 99% of the time. Well, and that's like that picture that shows a ladder with like multiple rings, like super close together versus, you know, the another ladder that's right <laughs> next to it. Yeah. And there's only like five to get to the top and you're, you know, the person in the drawing would have to like reach all the way up and then try and, you know, basically do a pull up to right. get to that first rung. So, yes. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to like make peace with like small successes as opposed to just like looking for a big like home run, <laughs> if that makes sense. I saw this thing and I, I've never done it, but I can see the value of it. And maybe I should try to be honest with you is yeah. let's say, I don't know, your goal is to sell 50 pieces. Okay. Uh, in your store, mm-hmm. but you know, every 10 that you sell, you know, you, I don't know, get yourself a special coffee or, you know, whatever. So like you're doing these mini rewards and you're celebrating those small successes because no one's going, unless they're really close to you, people aren't going to celebrate those small successes. They're not going to know. But once you're big, they're going to claim that they were there and everything else. So you have to celebrate those small successes for you. And whether that's writing it out on a timeline of like, okay, for every X amount of whatever I get, and I'm not saying go splurge and spend $500, but Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, go, if you like getting your nails done or you want a special coffee or whatever that is to celebrate your success, to keep yourself going. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's so true. And it's funny because like every time I've started a new endeavor, let's say, even when I, when I started my handmade business or when I wanted to study yoga um, or start a podcast, you know, oftentimes it's the people closest to you that will criticize you the most or doubt you the most. So in my experience, I've learned to like ignore that because eventually, you know, one day I had to really sit down and differentiate my mom's voice in my head over my body or my life. And what was my voice? Like, it's scary. Sometimes I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. Uh, so I've spent a lot of my adulthood trying to separate what is it that I, Teresa, really wants versus like what mom wants or my husband wants or my kids want. Like, it's hard, I think, as a woman to separate your own self, once you've accumulated all these titles in your life, like aunt, mother, friend, sister, like, I think men sometimes are better at that, maintaining their I mentality. Um, And women often, they struggle with that. And sometimes at the detriment to themselves. I'm not saying don't care about other people, obviously, (laughs) to care about each other. 
But women, I think we can easily get lost in the doing and thinking for others. And then it's hard. I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's hard to do what's necessarily good for you as the individual. And for me, at least when I finally get to that point of I need to do something for me, I then feel guilty when I do something for me. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And like, it's funny. So here's a lovely paradox for you. So my mother, for example, who's always told me my whole life that I need to lose weight. When I'll say join uh, an exercise class, right, I started to get really into Zumba as a way to like get back in shape after I had kids, which is so fun. And incorporated my dancing background and it's a great fit for me. Right. Mm-hmm. But I started to then uh, t- teach Zumba. Right. Mm-hmm. But because that's not like in her mind, I guess a great way to make money or a, va- a viable career, which, okay, maybe it's not, but it makes some money and I get to work out. For yeah, like I can't come- brag to my friends that you're a Zumba instructor. Exactly. I can't brag to my friends that my daughter who went to private school and university ended up becoming a Zumba instructor. What a fucking failure. Right. Right. And then it's like, she wants me to lose weight and I'll ask her to come babysit so I can go to class. But then she's busy. And that would happen too when I was teaching yoga uh, and I wanted to start back at it after I had kids was I'd be like, mom, can you please come like watch the kids because I, or watch Christian, my older one. He was the only one at the time. Can you please come so I can go to class? Because for me, it's not only a workout, it's a mental like benefit. It was all the things. It was great for me. And then nope, always busy because she doesn't like yoga. She doesn't approve of yoga. But if I was to say, oh, um, can you come watch the kids so I can go work at my corporate job downtown? Probably. She'd be free for that. Or she'd be like, if you want to go back to work, honey, full time, no problem. I'll be the one to take care of them. But when I need you for these little things, the answer is no. So it's funny, funny how that works, right? Funny, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, it just kind of felt like. I was on my own. And I think that's how I ended up getting into like the handmade stuff was it was a stress relief for me. I started to do crocheting as a hobby. And then um, people were like, you should sell that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. So I started that way. And then I ended up um, going to like a couple of really big craft shows with it. I did it for a few years, like really consistently. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And it's something that, you know, I came from my own mind. Um, every single thing I made myself with my own hands. And I was like, really proud of that. But again, not something maybe for your parents to brag about to their friends. So it's crocheting with one needle or two. It's one, one hook. Yeah. Knitting is with two needles. Okay. I always Mm -hmm. get them confused. That's okay. Yeah. It's a different, uh, it's easier in my opinion. Crocheting is easier, but probably someone who learned how to knit first would say knitting is easier. I don't know. I've tried to do both. Yeah. Um, crocheting seems to be a smidgen easier, but I haven't found anyone yet that can actually teach me because I can't do it the way anyone else does because of my hand. Oh, yes. Okay. So at one point, someone was trying to teach me and I'd actually, and it's going to sound weird, but I'd wrapped the yarn around my toes to like provide tension. Yeah. I probably have a picture of it somewhere. Um, but I just, I couldn't get into the rhythm of it. So mm. I love if someone could figure out how to teach me because yeah. I haven't been able to teach myself yet. 
That's interesting. Yeah, because you have the added challenge of your other hand, right? So yep. hmm, I wonder how we could work around that. Also, too, something that might be good is um, a loom for you. Okay. Because it kind of does like half the work. So you can get like, um, like if you want to make a hat, for example, knitting looms would be round. And you could do, you could just kind of hold it with one arm and then like use your other fingers to manipulate okay. the yarn. So that might be, that might even be easier. Mm-hmm. we'll figure we'll it talk. out we'll have to talk yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so I think it's just you know small things like that for me helping me like find pieces of myself again um actually it's funny I had written an article um in probably 2012 or 2013 because my son was born in 2012 and um I submitted it for publication to this uh buddhist journal called elephant journal it's like a yogi like buddhist journal Mm -hmm. anyways um and i just wrote it based on like the italian expression for giving birth which is dare alla luce like to give to the light so i felt like when you have children as a woman it's almost like you give all of your light and all of yourself like into your child especially like when they're a baby And then in them, like watching them grow and watching them develop, you slowly get that light back till it's like in balance. You know, I don't think honestly, as moms, maybe this this sounds depressing for people who want to have kids, but like, I honestly don't think you ever fully get it back. And I think that's just how it's supposed to be. I think it's like then stabilizes and it's like your light is in them and their light is in you. And I think for some people, that's harder to accept than others. For me, it was really hard. Um, But now I've, you know, sort of come to peace with it as now my son is 10 and seven. That's how old they are now. So I feel like now I'm entering a new phase where like they don't need me as much in an immediate way. Um, But I am glad for like all the experiences I had because it has like definitely like shaped my mindset even though I even though I don't practice yoga physically anymore I definitely still like off the mat have all those lessons that I learned and Mm -hmm. it shapes how I parent it shapes how I think of others again it goes back to the empathy and compassion um and it just helps you like I think all these experiences you have to help you become a better human being you know yeah I agree Yeah. yeah So those are my speed bumps. <laughs> I love them. Can, do you still, was that article published online? Yeah, I think I can still find it somewhere. Yeah, you'll have to send it to me so I can put it in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, I think that would be fine. I'll have to reread it. Maybe it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if it's not in the show notes, we just decided no, no. not to put it in. <laughs> if I can find it, I will send it to you for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, please plug your podcast and do that little spiel. And if you want to, pl- I don't know if your handmade shop is like on Etsy or if it's even up and running, plug whatever it you want to plug. Yeah, sure. So definitely people can find me in a few places. I'm most active on Instagram, which is just my name at Teresa.Kasar. And my podcast is the Spiritual Gangsters Podcast. Um, and I also co-host on the NY Patriot Show with New York Patriot. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. And my Etsy shop, if anyone is interested, is called Petit Remy. It's also on Instagram, Petit.Remy, and on Etsy. And all of those will be in the show notes. 
And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.